This episode was originally released on June 28th, 2023. Are you wondering why you're just hearing it now? All episodes release first and foremost on our Patreon page. You can become a patron at chillinois.net slash Patreon. That's C-H-I-L-L-I-N-O-I-S dot net slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. It only costs $3 a month. It's one of the best ways to support our show. And like I said, it gives you exclusive access to new episodes as they release. Enjoy the episode. It's mandated. Welcome. I guess before I got on, should uh, I should have asked you, do I call you Maid or do I call you Maddie? Yeah, so I'm Maddie in person for sure. Maid Perfect. content exists on the internet. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, that's a great way to kick off the conversation. Um, now they know what to call you by, uh, but go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience of the Chillinois podcast. And thank you again for sitting down with me today. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Madeline Ann Scanlon, also Maddie, made content. And during the day, I'm the Cannabis Insight Analyst for Brightfield Group. We are a cannabis, CBD, and emerging wellness market market research firm. A lot of words there. And I've been doing that for three and a half years now. But on the side, for fun, I started doing cannabis content stuff on Instagram. And that has grown to a pretty crazy level to now where I have a company with two other influencers where we do brand activations and other influencer content so it's been a really fun time getting to go back to my event roots what i used to do before cannabis and plan some pretty cool um, networking social events but then also just be with the community seeing the data especially during the whole pandemic looking at all the data seeing all these cannabis consumers but all being isolated it has been an amazing convergence of it all to be back with the cannabis community. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, well said. I want to talk to you about like what you are doing today, um, both like professionally, but also with regard to content. But I thought it would be really cool. And the reason I wanted to invite um, members of HIFO Media on individually is because I'd love to hear the backstory. So if you could... Tell me, um, you know, I think it's probably it probably started with your introduction to cannabis. But tell me, how, how did we find ourselves where we are today? Yeah, I mean, with high focus media specifically, I, um, I, I I wanted to make a collective of influencers. So I guess I did start it. I went around being like, who wants to be in an influencer collective with me? And basically the issue I saw was coming from, I have a master's degree in PR and advertising. So I know about influencer relations and influencer PR. And I didn't see it, cannabis influencers getting the same respect that other influencers got. So I kind of just wanted to address that issue by having something where people are talking about the prices we're getting and what we're doing for free versus paid and all these things and how they all relate. But um. Yeah, it, it, starting a company with more than one, two people was woo, way it's a much harder task than I thought it would be. So now it is me, Nicole, and Shane. We're not exactly collective. There's three of us, but we definitely have ambitions to want to to grow and be with a lot more influencers. Um, but content's just always been something I've been super passionate about. I used to, I was a kid on YouTube, like 12 years old, doing really dumb, embarrassing things that are probably still out there. 
So it has been always in me and cannabis too. I'm a third generation cannabis user. So it is in my roots. I'm, I'm proud to be the first one that can say it though. Very cool. Yeah. That's kind of what I was looking for. I was curious to like, so it sounds like you've been creating content for, for a long time. Um, uh, cause I don't take you as being anywhere close to 12 anymore. Um, so, <laughs> um, but, uh, that's I was curious, yeah, if the content creation came first or the cannabis came first and if it was a merging of the two loves or like how that came to be. That's kind of what I was going for. I definitely was like a stoner in college. Like I became a stoner. I went to DePaul. I was getting my degree. I was high all the time. And I was like, damn, this is just like a thing. Like I got a master's degree high, you know, so you know, it's not so oh God, it's going to melt your brain. You're not going to be able to do anything. All, all that stuff got shattered to me. And I definitely mm-hmm. feel like I, I didn't know what I was doing getting my degree in PR and ad. I just knew it, it called me. And content in a sense falls in it. Now I'm like, a, you know, making content. Like everything is really public relations when you're interacting with the public. So it's all with the, the the spin on it, I guess. I just watched The Crown where they call the PR people the spin doctors. And it just like <laughs> reminds you of where PR comes from. You're all, it's like creating an image, but that's what the internet's all about is creating an image and you just got to do it for good. Yeah. So you started using cannabis in college, you said? Yeah. When I was about 19, I was like, uh, actually I was had a it... friend who moved in and we were like just stoned and watching Rick and Morty and that's how it happened. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to place the timeline. Like how illegal was it then? Was it like tr- sketchy that you were smoking weed or did it feel? No, like it was decrim. I joke around that like I never really existed in prohibition. <laughs> mm. Not to not, you know, it's like a, I did smoke a little in high school, but like something in me was like, wow, I don't think I can do my goals if I'm smoking weed in high school. Um, and so I stopped, I totally stopped when I, I tried a little bit when I was 15 and then like totally stopped when I couldn't do my homework <laughs> high. And so I'm like, thank God, little Maddie, what the heck? Like, that was a good life trajectory. So I came back to it when I was 19, much more uh, ready for something like that. Yeah, that was wise at, at your young age uh, to be like, hey, it's cool, but not for me, not now just not now yeah I wanted I wanted to be the valedictorian I found out I was going to be the valedictorian of my class and I was like I like get rid of all my friends stop doing drugs stop drinking stop doing anything like friend all the smart people and that's what it was but that's how I saw weed though I saw weed as something that was like with partying with alcohol that would come back in my life when I was ready to party again definitely did not have any positive things thinking it would be like a wellness daily part of my life so how did that change? Because you described in college, you you know you, that attitude very much changed. Can you describe how that how you came to that change? Yeah, like <laughs> I used to be like a pretty mean person. Like I I was like you know pretty cutthroat and uh, all like when I was start in the beginning of college, I I tried to be on the leadership of like four different major clubs of DePaul, and I was super go getting, and we just like slowed that all down for me I'd always been a very hyperactive and we just really made the world slow down in a good way for me where I realized it's not all about competing it's not all about being the best out there it really just gave me this perspective that I don't think I otherwise would have found um, and not that I think I'd ever lose that perspective if I stopped smoking weed you know that's a big thing but um you know every day it just strengthens it I guess <laughs> yeah it's humbling I think is what is that fair to say that you found like it, it 
kind of humble. You said you, you didn't feel like you had to be first for everything, you know? So it's kind of like brings you down. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just yeah. more perspective. Like what matters is mm-hmm. like yeah. just being happy, not like everyone must be sad and I'm the only happy one. That's like how I was like in high school. I was very mean. I was a mean girl. I truly was. So I'm a recovering mean girl. Yeah. Hey, look, I've never really talked about it, but I'm not proud of the person I was in high school either. So yeah, kids are mean and terrible and I can assess. Yeah. 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 I was going to say, I think it's important to own it because we've changed, you know, and, and I realize it and I see it and some, you know, sometimes I'll like, my I've got people that I know like family members that are in high school and so you can see it like they'll tell you about maybe something that somebody said to them in school and it's hard to tell them like hey just so you know you're living in the most cutthroat time of your life where people will just (laughs) tell you shit that they you know you you know what I'm saying though they'll say stuff to your face at that age and just no no like uh shame at all (laughs) none Oh, I can think of some crazy things. Yeah. Oh my God. I cringe at thinking about some of the things that I said to people or did to people. Um, you know, yeah. It, it's yeah. not not a time I'm proud of. But I think what's important is that we learn from that. The weed you know? helps you know, like, hey man, chill out. Like <laughs> mm-hmm. at least for me, it was like, no need to be that way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's super cool. That's super cool. So you started smoking pot in college and found yourself kind of uh in the most cliche way kind of chilling out that's super cool and so you said you uh studied like marketing and stuff like that yeah i got a bachelor's and master's in pr and advertising pr and advertising sorry specifically well i wish almost sometimes i wish i did marketing because that's a real business degree so i have a communications degree (laughs) so it was really it's really easy too i did i did my bachelor's and master's in four total years um, and I finished in 2019, so I was very glad because the pandemic hit. I was already done in the world. Yeah, dude. But yeah, oh yeah. It um, I learned a lot of weird stuff. You you learn PRs is repeating the same thing over and over again. So it's just like really learning how to like make people want to buy things and getting good at that. Yeah. So with content creation, did you like stop? Because I I will say that I feel like that was probably about the age that I had a decline i would say like i would i was doing climb or i about said climate change for some reason i was doing content creation um you know through junior high and even before that i remember just making videos like you say probably some that still exist to this day just stupid embarrassing stuff wacky stuff it's not like it was like crazy but you know just silly kids being silly kids filming pranks um, <laughs> <laughs> right um stuff like that but but there was certainly like a time i i feel like it was around when i was that age that i stopped am i understanding you correctly that you just kind of did you just stop making content for a while or did you just honestly it was for me it was in high school because so when i was probably like 12 13 14 15 when i was 15 i like decided i was going to stop doing anything that i really wanted to do and just do whatever it took to be valedictorian um which like I used to do journalism I used to do other things I was always in band I was always artistic that way so like some some way art has always stayed with me um but no I really fell out of making any significant content for a long time and even throughout college I really only stuck to making the sort of content for schoolwork where it was you know every every quarter would basically be like here's a brand or business or something like make a campaign and you'd spend the whole time making the campaign so really I learned how to like I always had the 
the desire to make content, but I felt very like, who am I? Who am I to do this? Like I I'm now I, I got over that obviously, but um it held me back for a long time. And I think once I had my degree, I was like, now I am now I can make which is like silly to think of. But yeah, I started my Instagram content making um on January 1st, 2020, when it was like fully legalized. And um yeah, I, I don't that's it's like totally picked up something that I left behind. So did you start with because it was on January 1st, 2020, did you start with pot or like what? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I wanted to be a weed influencer. I knew about uh-huh. weed influencers. I saw them on my, I had a personal Instagram and I was like, I want to do this. Like, I'm going to wait till it's legal and then I'm going to do it. Cause I already had my job in cannabis for a couple months. Um, so it was like, and I hit it. None of my people who knew who were at my job back then knew about it. I was like, secret, not say anything. And um, now it's like too integrated. Everybody knows. Gotcha. When so when did you and how? Let's talk about that. How did you find yourself at a cannabis company or a cannabis cannabis insight company or data company? What did you say it was again? Yeah, it's a it's like a market research company for cannabis and CBD and other industries now. But um, I was in I was in my master's and they were going to legalize weed and I liked research. I was doing a research project on AI and advertising. Um, and everywhere I'd go, I would just be like, I like weed. I like research weed research weed research and eventually somebody hit me up and like brought me over to a Brightfield thing and I talked to them for a bit and then um I graduated I, I went around Europe for like 40 days and I would like text them while I was in Europe like am I gonna get a job am I gonna get a job when I get back like are you sure and they're like yeah we'll get you a job but they didn't end up getting with me till October so I literally like graduated and I was just like waiting around and like yeah it would totally pay it off and pure through networking and meeting them and them being like you know what we're growing right now we could use someone who knows about social media so my actual job was I was their first social media person um and then they just were like wow you know a lot about weed you're learning a lot why don't you come do some other stuff for us so I've been on the inside side I've been the deep in the excel I've trained AI into what's a chillum and what's a one hitter and all this crazy stuff so and now I'm back doing the content marketing really in the outward facing cannabis insights very cool. Very cool. So I'm trying to keep, if you notice, I'm trying to keep this chronological. So oh, yeah. you've, you've started at Brightfield. That's the company, right? And on January 1st, you started making content um, because you felt, Hey, it's legal, right? That's what you said. You That's why you kind of finally took the leap. You're like, it's legal. Let's fucking do it. Take the yeah, mask like off. No reason not to. Yeah. It's like, and the times now, right. To become mm-hmm. a content creator, you rather than start you know 15 down 15 years down the line you want to like kind of make yourself known now right yeah and i, I also i thought i was going to be like a comedy person oh yeah yeah like if you ever scroll back on my early stuff it's like really goofy like, like and i i still like it but the merge the emergence like the, the I, I don't even know emergence convergence of me on the internet and me in my professional world has kind of made me have to be more serious but Okay. I still try to keep it light. Dude, I f- I try to blend comedy into this thing as much as I can. Now we cover like a lot of serious stuff, but um and I use whatever excuse I can to get comedians onto the show, so I have a huge love for comedy. That's awesome. Um and you probably saw that it's something that I plan to do again in the future now that it's nice out again, but I made like a satirical reel quite a while ago 
yeah trying to bl- blend that was awesome i have yeah. watched that many times <laughs> thank you, you with the suit on walking around the campus being the mso guy <laughs> like not knowing how to smoke weed <laughs> yes yes so thank you i can't take all the credit for the uh character uh justine uh my girlfriend helped me develop some of the lines there but yeah um, I would love to do more things like that where you're talking about real stuff, but blending in the humor. I think it's very, very effective in, in teaching. Um, but anyway, sorry, I had to take a take a moment to dwell on the fact that you said you started with comedy because I'm just a nerd for that. So um, is there a reason? Can I just ask that before we move on? Do you, do you particularly like like stand up comedy or, or anything like that? Or was it just you like you just like to be like that? I always like like skit comedy so Mm -hmm. I find it very funny to do like um almost like I don't say non sequitur but like unexpected like skits so like one of my favorite things I ever made was I got a new bong and I said I'm gonna christen it and then I like proceed to actually pretend to give it a baptism um and it's like like stuff like that it's almost like it's like going crazy on a pun almost sometimes even just like I, and I love like um, I think you should leave that show that's on right now. It's mm-hmm. really just that like obscure humor. Um, and I don't know. I find like, you know, when you're on the Internet, you got to be there for a reason. You got to be something. Um, and my original reason was going to be like to entertain. I like want to be I, I almost had myself be called made entertain. Um, but I don't know. It's more than that. You know, especially in cannabis, it's like so much like education and being a data analyst too. It just kind of felt like, to even though I like doing that, I couldn't just be what I was. Mm-hmm. Is there anything behind the made uh, content or made entertain? I noticed you have the format there. So, yeah, well, my name is Madeline, so it's M A D E L I N E. So it's mm-hmm. originally I was made line, so then made just became the thing, and like made is so like everywhere like people use that word every day in regular sentences and so it's just like ubiquitous in a way but also made content is also made content so it's um it's not just being entertained it's being made content like that nice then not to be so deep about content or anything but (laughs) (laughs) it's just the internet (laughs) hell yeah well uh how's how's that been going you you so we're you mentioned, and I'm kind of throwing two things at you at once. I realize this, but like you mentioned at first, you didn't maybe like the job. So I, you're still there. So I imagine you like it, but also how's the content creation been going? You can start on either one. Like, again, I know I threw two questions your way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I definitely like, I love my job in a sense where I get to like learn about cannabis every day, but I'm very sociable. And so I had to start, um, just going outside of my job to do social things like so many of us can you know for so much time we wrote said like okay we get to go to the office five days a week and be around people and you know do the thing but like the whole world changed and so I had to kind of change how I was operating in it so doing all this stuff on the side just <laughs> like I think it got so big because I knew the insights of it like knowing that people just really want a place to smoke seeing the stats on how many people are smoking outside of bars when there's they're not even allowed to and all that stuff and being like, let's put this all together. So I should say that it's been going great. I mean, the content side hasn't been going so great. The brand activation side has, <laughs> you know, we, everyone wants to be together now. And we're even seeing that in how cannabis brands want to interact. Like it's, it's one thing to have an influencer say some stuff and do a campaign. And of course we still do little things like that, but like to have 
250 people in a room and the brand is there part of that active you know call it the activation but really it's just that social time that social experience tangible not on the phone thing um is really valuable right now so high focus media is happy to fill that need hell yeah and yeah you've been doing that feel free to plug some of the events you know so that people can look into it and we'll put it in the podcast description as well but like profesh sesh is that an example of what you're talking about yeah profesh sesh is our marquee event we like to say we kind of like got that sounds super official (laughs) <laughs> I know right well we don't want it to like cannibalize us you know a lot of people didn't even know what high focus media was they just knew professors and we were like mm-hmm. oh, we put our name on this so <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I think that um it, it's even been interesting because we started in February so February March April May we had four of them and we've seen a shift even from like just business people to like a lot more just cannabis enthusiasts and people who just want to be out and smoke with people not they don't want a job they just want a place to be hell yeah hell yeah that's super cool and that's um what i felt i've noticed from seeing the posts is you you've got a good turnout so if folks are looking for a good time i think it's it's, fair to say it's easy when you're giving out all the stuff we are we work really hard to like make sure the brands are generous make sure the venues are generous it's like just have a good time, everyone. Like we're we're all back out in the world. Everyone wants to be here, and these and it's just it's just making it where it's not a barrier. There's definitely a lot of spaces for cannabis consumers that cost twenty to eighty dollars, but um, we're really passionate about the free and under under twenty thirty dollar type affairs. Mm-hmm. So talk about some of the cool things that have happened at former events. Like, is it fair to say that like I think there's been like product samples, for example, at events. Is that right? Yeah, so some of our brand partners will be on the Sesh Bus, and the Sesh Bus is the mobile VIP lounge that's around here in Illinois, where we can compliantly park it on the street in Chicago, and brands can share some product, and people can enjoy it on the bus and bring their own. So it's been a a good, and that's that that's the thing that is kind of like hard about what we're doing. Like we love the bus; we're so grateful we can have this bus. But ideally, we wish we didn't have to have a bus parked on the street to like smoke weed, especially at a venue like Park and Field where we were just at, where it's like right, it's open. Everyone's around fire pits. There's already exhaust coming from fire pits, and there's like, you know, it's like it's, it's something. Silly. It's something we're working on too. That's some of the stuff in the works in my life for sure. Sure. Um, these these rules we are not trying to have to deal with much longer yeah yeah hopefully that you know and you see some of the legislation that that i don't know if it'll make the final cut but there were things like for events event licensing you know temporary event licensing i don't know if i have not seen the final text of the omnibus yet but i've but but there's hope there i'm saying with those things coming around right actually so the as it's currently written um, we wouldn't want cannabis consumption in the omnibus bill, right? Oh, as, good. As, as I see it, as we see it. So, so honestly, it's like I so I'm sure. like teasing around the fact that um, forming a nonprofit to deal with cannabis consumption. It's called the Illinois Cannabis Consumption Association, or ICA. Um, and it's me, my husband, and our our good partner Depeche, who uh, is the owner of Smokers Glass. So he's intimately involved in the ancillary side, and just want to see an, a, a real lounge industry for Chicago and for Illinois at large. Um, and yeah. it needs its own advocacy. I just realized I have a photo with the the people from ICA. Isn't it? Wasn't Depeche yeah, you do. there? 
Yeah, we were there, <laughs> yeah. like scoping things out for Ico, you know. We, we were we were beta testing uh, yeah. the conception. <laughs> we joking. were, and you know, you know, if a cop came by, we would like to have an Ica fun even to possibly like pay for like people who smoke in public. It's like a fifty dollar fine in Chicago. It's like ridiculous. Like those are so many things that could be changed. And since yeah. we've legalized, we've seen lots of different examples. Minnesota is gonna like blow us out of the water too. So there's just so many reasons why Illinois. So it may have screwed up the cannabis side. Maybe it could have a good lounge side. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, hey, that kind of opens a, us up for just a general discussion on data. I'd love to hear anything that you'd like to talk about. But I was just curious, since you brought up the $50 citation, do you have specifically like any data on it? I've never looked into it, honestly, but I have heard of it being an issue. Like you say, I mean, you can't can't smoke in public it's it's definitely like not okay and uh i was just curious like do we know um if cpd is like actually enforcing this i hope not but... so i don't i don't think it's something i've necessarily like heard or seen it's just the fact that they have these mechanisms the ability right it, like not cool like for example say a group of people wanted to do a beats meetup this summer and they'll mm -hmm. announce it when it happens. But what happens if our people decide to free willingly smoke some cannabis? Like whose fault is that? Is it the now the no event can occur if they have a risk of any of their patrons right. using cannabis in a public space? Like there are just so many things that make it hard to do things. <laughs> I know make it hard to be compliant because people don't want to break the law. It's just they're making these laws so onerous and annoying. It's like forcing some yeah. sort of loop around. Yeah, I'll be honest, like when I was hanging out with you you and um, uh, all the folks that we were smoking with, I'm trying to think, there was a lot of people, I don't even really, I wasn't even really thinking about it. And in fact, I need to be more careful about it because I found myself doing that. I think I was doing it in Nashville one time and people were like, Cole, weed is like illegal here. I was like, oh shit, like I, I just go in autopilot sometimes. Um, I definitely have to be more cognizant of it. But yeah, that's that's what I find is that and that's what's so troubling about the fact, like you say, that they're just – even if they don't enforce it, the fact that they're able to, that's what's troubling because most people may not know. They just think it's legal, right? Yeah, and I know so. you're of the opinion too of weed as an agricultural good. So mm -hmm. it's definitely like, okay, how is this thing legal if we can't use it anywhere at all except the house <laughs> we own? Right. Like, And then in the house we own, we can have – none of the plants unless we register under a medical condition mm -hmm. it's like it's weird like i I, I use cannabis medicinally but i only keep a medical card to grow yeah it's like i think okay state here you go money money it'll be it'll really be interesting to see how this evolves because one of the the questions i've always had and then i'd love to swing it back to you for any general data insights uh that, that you might want to share i'm sure there are some fun numbers that you've got crunching over there so I'd love to hear anything. And I, I have one idea where we could kick it off, but um, um, oh no, did I lose it? I think I just lost it. We can switch to data points if that thought comes back. I was going to say I recently saw, I don't know if it was on LinkedIn or on made content, but you shared an updated number of which I've seen in the past. Maybe you can pull it up. Sorry for not prepping you on this, but um, the disparity of uh, population to like people to dispensaries. I always oh, thought that yeah, was a really yeah. cool disparity. That was disparity. me creeping around on your Reddit channel or your Reddit. Oh, Reddit. really? I, I'm trying to become a Redditor. I don't know what's going on. 
I got off of TikTok a while ago, and now I need a new uh-huh. platform. I feel like Reddit might be it for me. Hey, well, but you're talking. I got to the like right three person. karma. I got like three karma. Nobody likes my shit. Every ten minutes, I'm there clicking a freaking comment. Nobody likes me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But, um, anywho, yeah, yeah, that's an article I wrote a bit ago. So actually, Michigan has lost a lot of dispensaries since that original since October. So mm-hmm. it is a little less like crazy of a difference, but it's still still pretty crazy because Illinois is not open dispensaries like it was supposed to. Just straight up, like when I when um. I first started three years ago when we sized Illinois and Michigan's market. Michigan was supposed to be smaller than Illinois. Illinois was going to be way bigger than Michigan, if not by now, at least by next year. But that's not going to happen now because we have not been able to have the growth that was set up in the market. So, like, of course, when you forecast the market, you take the state at its word that it's going to do what it said it's going to do. But when that doesn't happen, and obviously COVID and things like that, too, it just really drastically changes um what's gonna what's gonna occur so now illinois really will only see more growth through new operators new dispensaries we just took the first ever like stagnant month year over year and a 420 month of all months while michigan continued to grow over like 70 something percent over the last april Mm -hmm. and missouri eats into our sales because they have like a six or 12 percent sales tax i think depending where you are and then so people were driving one way now they're driving the other so there's you know that problem for illinois but it's definitely just uh to be a cannabis analyst anywhere in the midwest is one of like the the roughest we got i've got to watch this limited license market like grind out i guess only the worst other place would be florida (laughs) (laughs) yeah no straight up straight up um I'm curious. I don't even know how you would find these the the findings. Um, but maybe maybe this is something that we you could follow up with me on. There's this article that I love to share on uh, the show, and I'll just share it uh, so that people can read up on it if they've never heard me mention it on the show before. Um, but you just brought up limited licensing, so uh, this is a really good old article. I think it's from the year twenty leading up to legalization. 2019 yeah so i'm gonna flip this back into reader mode um i'd be interested to see if you if your folks are able to get a hold of this data again i don't know how you would honestly um but the the article is talking about medical cannabis growers who who are lobbying for licenses which would also allow them to control the supply of recreational cannabis in illinois and there's two studies in this referenced, and I think it'd be interesting to have somebody get a hold of this data if if at all possible. Hold on a second, I gotta find. Um, so there was, you know, a study that was commissioned by the sponsors of the bill, Heather Staines and um Kelly Cassidy, that showed market demand in Illinois would quickly outstrip supply from the state's existing licenses. Oh, and then this is this is the other one I was thinking of. Normal, Illinois normal. This is under their old leadership, though. So that's why I think it might be hard to get some of this data. Like, how do you get a hold of these people? Um, But they released a draft study on supply and demand. And then, of course, the current, (laughs) the medical cannabis growers released their own supply and demand study. I'm curious, um, like, what it, what was uh, the outlook, I guess, on the market. You mentioned like the CRTA and the license that it had allotted. 
like, is there ever, I know this question is kind of like tough, but is because you brought up taxes earlier and everything. I don't feel like taxes are the only reason that people are going to Missouri. I feel like the products are just cheaper in general. And so I, I guess the question I'm working towards is, does your analysis show that even at full capacity, we would be there? And I don't even know if you could go there because it's the people that set the prices, but I'll stop talking and let you answer the question. <laughs> I think like there's a, a lot of things. So like a lot of stuff. Yeah. There's no answer as to how much cannabis a population needs. That's one right. thing. So a lot of data sources like to rely on point of sale data. Um, and that's one thing that's unique about Brightfield because we are not point of sale data. We are not looking at what's being sold in cannabis stores. We are asking people who use cannabis what's going on, regardless of where they buy it or where they got it or who gave it to them. And so it's a very unique view of the cannabis consumer. So it's like hard to say how much cannabis a population needs when so much of these studies uh, result or look at uh, other medical markets, possibly like estimates of illicit markets. And I'm not saying that data is not good. I, I personally don't do the market sizing. We have a really great market sizing expert who sizes all of our markets, even size the freaking Delta 8 market, which is like, how did you do that, man? But methodology, I guess. But um, but basically, I think like if you look at Illinois and Michigan, we opened a month apart, a month apart. And it, it's the it's the question of who is what is going to determine the supply the government or capitalism like at the end of the day we live in capitalism people are going to pay money for things they want and if somebody's got a better deal they're going to take their money there and so if that's shaking out actively in michigan at the expense of the business owners like they're the ones struggling like, like i said a hundred dispensaries have closed since october about around about while here in illinois like 19 have opened when we were supposed to have 190 open so like which one you want you know which side of it it's like michigan consumers are enjoying a whole new level of access their illicit market is actively disappearing because if the ounces in the store are 25 30 dollars where is there room for an illicit market and obviously they have a lot of issues with their caregiver program going away that kind of helped facilitate get off illicit into a semi-formal and now into a super formal that illinois never had so it's hard to totally compare but at the end of the day we have a supply issue you can see it in the price of our vapes it's very clear and what would help us upon the issue more people growing so like limited license system is just not shaken out economically for us we're making less money as a state than probably even missouri just seeing how it's shaked out for them and because not to say like Missouri, you know, St. Louis is a big city, but big cities are, are hubs for illicit drugs. And so if there are, you know, states like even Montana are having huge, awesome openings because so many consumers are coming to cannabis, not from an illicit dealer or, or the illicit dealer is super hard to reach. And now even the dispensary 30 miles away is easier and safer and whatever. Um, where states like Illinois that have these population hubs where there's quite illicit infrastructure just different it's just different this is a really long answer but no i loved it i mean it's it's so true in so many ways and i think it's just important to note um that you know i think that oh so one of the numbers before i get to that um michigan i think sold 1.8 billion dollars in cannabis last year and illinois sold 1.5 so they sold more, and it's funny because everybody in Illinois, and I say everybody, I, I, I say opponents, 
of the open licensing system will say that Michigan is a failure because of their yeah. open licensing system, right? And it's like, but but they're making more money. What's going oh, on there? More money, yeah. Was, people people like to point to the small businesses that are failing while ignoring the small businesses in Paw Paw and Benton Harbor that are like genuinely just raking in money, like ridiculous, like. Like I I go to Michigan. I'm an Illinois consumer that spends most of their cannabis dollars in Michigan, and it's just why why they can't keep the same ounce on shelf when I left my house. You know, it's like where in Illinois there's complaints of like old weed from like October being regularly what's available. Yeah. So it's like uh, we, and it's we, just. We're reaping what we sowed on this limited license laws that were somehow um, accepted. And, and I mean, that's exactly it because, you know, I'm not even throwing shade. I think everybody expected it. But, a, a you know, uh, the leader of the Illinois Craft Grower Association came on and said that we should expect to pay more for craft cultivated product, not only because it might be a tough thing to get it at the medical cannabis tax rate for some reason, even though the state has come on this show and said that there would be no issue. I saw Apparently they're going to they're... remove that too from the omnibus just today. So really? Well, mm -hmm. great. Um, so um, the, that whole thing, right. And look, I get that you should actually expect to pay more for a craft product anyways, but I'm saying people aren't, waiting for higher priced product people are waiting for a price break people are fleeing for a price break mm -hmm. you know i just and illinois has been interesting like every time it's not our our prices have dropped a little um not in a way that is so noticeable and significant but like they have dropped when big sales times happened and then people almost just like expected it as this market has dragged on so like last december there was a big drop um people were i was even watching to see if this 420 would be a big drop i don't know if it has yet it's hard to say but like you regularly are seeing 35 dollar ace pre-tax on menus and like like that's not the ideal but at least we're here you know at least we're here but it's still yeah. it's you're you're right it's like if we're just now getting to a genuine bottom tier not counting shaken popcorn like come on let's get real a genuine bottom tier for bud is not it does not exist because <laughs> everything's priced like it's mid or premium mm -hmm. um so how can a real premium exist like there's going to have to be like a shifting of it but i don't know if that'll happen just because of and it sounds like market participants prefer, like they view this state, they view limited licenses as an investment. You know what I mean? You know? Oh, yeah, there's definitely. So like that was something that was a big takeaway from the summit where we were with um, Grown In, thinking about the difference between is it social equity or is it price stability? That is my question. Is a lot of the answers to well, why do we, why should people only be able to get involved under these parameters seem to be more about keeping the price of cannabis where it is rather than genuinely creating like an equitable way of entering. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said about not addressing what started the process in the first place. And it's part of what you brought up. You can't even fucking smoke it in public. <laughs> That's got to change, right? That's part of what started this in the first place. Like the disparate policy enforcements is what I'm referring to. 
and those all still largely exist in in Illinois. Um, you know what I mean? Anything over 30 grams for most people. And I love to use the example for out-of-staters. It's insane that you can only have 15 grams if you're not from Illinois. Yeah, I mean, it makes it even just harder to buy from for our out-of-state people. Like, Wisconsin's going to start going to Minnesota. Like, they're, they're, you know what I mean? People from Wisconsin will. Because mm-hmm. they're everyone in the... The Midwest is such a weird place right now because it's like every state is taking like almost like they're trying to out liberalize each other it seems in different like minnesota at least is taking this approach where i'm just like we might have cannabis drinks just in liquor stores for real like okay <laughs> well, uh, cool yeah and like here we are in illinois like wondering if can might be in stock and i don't i can't even drink can does nothing for me so it's is like, it like an edible or something can is a drink that is like two milligrams it's oh. for microdosers and it's like one of the only packs of drinks available in illinois mm-hmm. so it's like these markets across borders are just going to be so drastically different it will, it will continue to expose how flawed the illinois market really is yeah yeah and i just to put a cap on the point that i just brought up if it wasn't if it wasn't clear enough for folks that are listening or even like for you, I like to just show the first few sentences from the CRTA itself, Mm -hmm. uh, which says in the interest of allowing law enforcement to focus on violent and property crimes, the general assembly finds and declares that the use of cannabis should be legal for persons 21 years of age or older and should be taxed in a manner similar to alcohol. It also says that it should be regulated in a manner similar to alcohol, I ask you this, is that true? <laughs> no way. Right. No way. It would be like Canada if that was the case. Like, if you ever want to see an example of a government-run cannabis market that is actually doing pretty decent, uh, decently for its consumers, it's it's Ontario. Yeah. The Ontario Cannabis Store is like, if, you just, if you're an innovator out there, just go to the can- uh, Ontario Cannabis Store and be like, what's new? And you'll see the most innovative products at really reasonable prices for people with a variety of brands. Canada has its problems. Not going to say it doesn't, but for the consumer-wise, look at any other market and you'll see why Illinois consumers don't have it off very well. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so interesting to hear how many people are going to Michigan. They're just finding that it's the better option. Like myself included, I will. I know some shops I can go to because it's a better experience too. You can smell the product, you can see the product, you know, and it's it's like everything, like you said earlier, an agricultural experience should be. Like when I go to buy grapes, I like to I like to feel them. I don't know about your technique, but I feel them, and I might even pop one in my mouth just to make sure like it's you know good before I get a batch of grapes right yeah you don't. i mean you don't the first dispensary one of the first i ever went to was in colorado and i got that deli style experience yes. as they call yeah. it and um yeah like it was the probably still one of the best consistencies of weed i ever had in my whole life it was amazing and um yeah it's just like why why do we force getting back to like even just why they can't open dispensaries like we have to have mesh in mesh metal in the walls just in case somebody wants to break in and like just all this crazy onerous stuff for something that is is a plant yeah it's a plant yeah now look i always try to be fair and since you are a data analyst and uh you yeah, might yeah, be have fair too allegedly 
<laughs> right. Um, I, I wanted to just ask, you know, cause even Brad Spearson at the event we went to, uh, somebody asked a question about limited licenses. It wasn't me. Uh, I promise you, it wasn't me. You were sitting next to me actually when I asked my questions. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but somebody asked about it and he made a comment about, well, look in Michigan and look how many people are going out of business. And you mentioned it earlier. Um, I'm just honestly and asking in the sake of fairness, is there something to be said about guaranteeing the success of cannabis licensees? Yeah, I think that it's something that you can attempt, but Illinois has shown that the government is not really able to do that. It's like the will of the people, the will of capitalism and businesses who know how to do what they need to do to do what they want to do. Yeah. Is, is that's all that's going to win. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. I talked to, uh, let's call him an unlicensed operator the other day. Let's just call him that. Absolutely. If you guys want to uh, yeah. check out the show, because that's, that's, that's what he is. I mean, he's operating in the state of Illinois, but they refuse to, or he's unable to, whatever you want to say, uh, get a license. And so what he talked about, which I found interesting, is that he has to wear so many hats. And by that, he means, you know, he has not to not only be good at growing good like flour, good quality flour and supplying COAs and everything that the legal market offers. Right. But he's also got to figure out how do I make extracts? How do I make ed edibles? And he has to be the best at it. Otherwise, people will not come back to him. You know what I mean? He is facing the true spirit of competition and like you say, I think there's something to be said about that, you know? Yeah. Like I think about when I was in college, I could make like the shittiest weed brownies ever and sell them to the kids in the dorms because there was no competition. You know what I mean? Like these mm -hmm. were freshmen and I was the only freshman with an apartment. So it was like market opportunity. But yes. like that can't be the market forever. And it's mm -hmm. almost like that mentality from the illicit market of like, this is my turf, like carried on to the legal market, which doesn't really make any sense. And I am all for social equity in a sense that there people who have been affected by the war on drugs should be able to receive resources to participate in this industry. But it shouldn't be where now only these people are able to participate and the growth and success of our market are contingent on it. Yes. Um, it's just very strange. And it's a lot of, especially for uh, population we are already saying has been disadvantaged by a system to then have to come up with millions bajillions of dollars it's just very um <laughs> that's always been the thing for me right there yeah that's not only are we giving you know allotting this for them but the the amount of funding a person that that was supposedly yeah. and i'm not questioning whether any of the licenses were at licensees were actually affected by the war on drugs i'm asking an honest question if these people were affected by the war on drugs is it fair to expect them to be as capitalized as they obviously appear to need to be right yeah to make those the provisions for them to be involved is what's ridiculous and i'm all for making sure a market isn't monopolized which we haven't done a good job of doing but i'm all for it but think about massachusetts has a great model where they're doing like i think it's three dispensary license caps so you can't or or even I think it might be just three types of licenses in general. I believe that might be, that might be something the case. Like that. Yeah. So that makes it where if you're a big dog, come on in, come on in, do your thing, do it really big in one spot, and you're a big dog and you're making your big dog money. But then if you're a small dog too, you can come in as well and have your own area and do your own thing. And to me, 
when you have a system that genuinely allows people to get involved who want to be involved, who maybe aren't on this paper point system affected by the war on drugs, but still lived in a prohibition world and had it affect their life in different ways, like why can't they be involved too? Is is right. like there the the market shows there's the demand to have enough room for everyone, but we don't have an abundance mindset in our cannabis market. Not to get too spiritual, hippy dippy, but <laughs> but it really is. No, in fact, again, people warn against an abundance. I'm about to show a video. The literally, the title of the video is "What Happens When a State Grows Way Too Much Weed." What are you talking about? Way too much weed? There's no such thing as way. Like you said, is there really too too much weed? Um, and it highlights on a point that that you just touched on. But I wanted to give a quick shout out to regulators like Shalene Title, who I believe could be credited for crafting regulations that you just referred to in Massachusetts. And they also, like you said, agree or sorry, um, exist in Illinois, but they're uh, the numbers are different. So mm-hmm. do you know the numbers off the top of your head? I think, um, it's, I think 10 it's 10 for. Yeah. 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 And then three for cultivation. And I think it might even be three for craft cultivation, but I start to question myself because I saw that like just yesterday or the other day, there was some language that was modifying that so that you could. So again, I'm confused on that, but you, yeah, 10 and I think three is the the number. Um, so I wanted to play a short clip uh, to kind of illustrate the point that we were both just talking about. And it's uh, it's a clip from Vice, who uh, I guess just declared bankruptcy, RIP. Um, so here we go. Maybe we should have put some caps on production. You might win this one. All right, it sounds like a lot. <laughs> Do you look back at it and think, maybe we should have put some caps on production or on the licenses? You know, my job's not to second guess that. I'm just the administrator. But if you're asking me, uh, I don't think so. Everyone just wanted to be the first in to have their stake in it. And they were willing to take the risk to be a part of that market. So. I don't think that's necessarily bad. And in a control market, they'd be left out. They'd never get that chance. You think all... So um, that, for background, I should have given a little bit of background before I dove right into that. That was the head of the uh, regulatory body for cannabis in Oregon, who people constantly people constantly port, point to Oregon as a failure. And uh, what they were about to segue to, and this is really, I feel like, the dilemma that we've been circling the drain on. and. Uh, this has been a really fun conversation so far, so thank you for nerding out with me. Um, the the drain I think we're circling, and it's what this video is about to segue to, is there's one group of people that will never complain. And, you know, there's a group of people that will complain about the low price of weed, and that's people that are trying to make money on weed. But there's one group of people that will never complain about the low price of weed, and I think two of them are on the call on this call right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like. Consumers and and people who want to see the industry grow too. I mean, if you think about like, like so, Oregon is an example. We do not know how much weed a population needs. Like, we just don't. They they grew too much. Canada too. Yeah. Canada grew too much weed. Um, and that had to do with expectations around possibly being able to export it too. So that's like you know got some complications. But like a lot of weed and even a lot of hemp has been grown and been wasted. And we're like, what do we do with this all? So there is no answer on both ends. How much do we need? And it's also hard to, you know, 
figure out when these illicit markets are like nothing else we've ever faced in any other industry and there's nothing to draw a parallel to except when you know think about prohibition i guess but even then it's the amount of years of prohibition cannabis faced and the infrastructure that is created worldwide cannot be ever compared to alcohol so but um the one thing i think is crazy so we have like to get into some data um we do a lot of like things around brand health and that's like a uh, idea of like how aware and purchasing and loyal are consumers of your brand and we did one specifically for retail brands um so brightfield group is doing this like every quarter now and in illinois the top reason for someone's favorite dispensary is the location by far by like 40 46 of consumers say it's the location um, and that's not good when you're going to have dispensaries popping up all around and in being a lot closer locations for a lot of consumers. Um, and you want a place like Oregon and that the location is still important, but by significantly less, more than 10 percentage points, 12 percentage points, I believe. And then customer service is the second most important by a pretty close margin. So like different things become important when markets are actually able to compete with each other it's actually able to to serve a consumer and not just be the dispensary the place where the government makes sure you can buy your weed that's like it's just very different mindset yeah yeah that's that's very interesting um what what are there some other things that like you feel like maybe people don't pay enough attention to I, again you did, and i don't feel like so sorry, I realized I referenced and by what you said that I must have referenced an old article where you were citing that disparity. Do you have that number? Uh, that's what I had meant to, for you to share because I thought it was pretty powerful, even if it's no longer accurate. It's not like it's changed a lot. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, well, it's really just about like, so dispensaries per capita. Thank the you. more dispensaries there are, the less consumers have to go to them. So it's like in Illinois, let me get the exact number. In Illinois, there is one dispensary per every 115,000 residents. So that's a lot of people having to go to one dispensary. So that affects our market and that like, that's a lot less competition. Like you can support a dispensary well on that many people or you, you never need to offer a baked good ever. It's like something I see out there in Illinois. Um, but in Michigan, that was at one dispensary per every 15,900 residents. So more than a- about 100,000 people difference, just under 100,000 people difference at the peak of Michigan's dispensaries. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah, that is insane. That is insane. Yeah. I was looking up the per capita of McDonald's and stuff like that just for some uh obviously apples to oranges comparisons but you know uh, yeah i just shared the article with you too and then like the the, another the takeaway was like illinois and michigan like those things people care about in michigan they care about location and variety of products much less because it's the standard where in illinois you have to care about the variety of products and where your dispensary is based on the lack of variety and locations yeah yeah well, and I've, it's interesting. I've talked to some people in Michigan that have, you know, curious if you've ever, I'm just sharing for folks that are reading, we'll have this uh, link to the podcast description so you can take a deeper dive. Um, you know, I've talked to some small businesses in Michigan and it's interesting. I ask them, 
hey, you know, people in Illinois all the time complain about how ruthless an open market would be. But yet here you are and here I am. I come out to support you for the very reason that you are a small business. How do, how do you how do you do it? How do you make it? And the one company that I'm referring to, I'll gladly give give them a plug because uh, they're awesome. Uh, always treated me well. Disabled veteran owned and operated, like I say, a small business in Michigan. Symponia Farms. They're vertically integrated. Now, I will say that I just gave credit to Shaleen Title uh, earlier, and one of her proposals specifically, she says that we shouldn't allow for vertical integration because it could lead to something like a monopoly. She's got a paper on how to prevent monopolies. That one regulation you mentioned, the per ownership limitations, is one of the ways you prevent a monopoly. Um, not limiting the number of licenses is another way you prevent a monopoly. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, <laughs> true, <yeah. laughs> not actually making a monopoly. Right, exactly. Um, so it's this. I say that in the same breath because I realize that that conflicts with her proposals, and she's somebody who I idolize, and I generally agree with her proposals. But from a business standpoint, I got where they were coming from. They were saying, "I don't rely on the outside market. I don't have to buy it from this guy, that guy, this guy. I make all my stuff in house." I can set my own prices, make sure I get my returns. I know how much everything costs me. And I'm like, man, this seems like the answer to the problem that people know is limited licensing. Now, again, I say that in the same breath as Shaleen Titles saying maybe we shouldn't allow for that. Maybe I can ask her about that in the future. But yeah, I'm just curious. What do you what do you think about the idea of that I just kind of laid out? Yeah. I mean, I am all for vertical integration. I think that. Um, there's a there's a hot take out there. This is not my hot take. This is a hot take out there that basically says that retail outlets are the middlemen of cannabis that need to be destroyed. That they are the ones that because we have the place that is dispensed, we get to mark up and make our money here. So if if that is controlled by the same people making the product, that markup is a little less fierce. Is is the argument? Mm -hmm. Um. So so. I don't, I don't know exactly if that's the answer. It's just, it's a very hot take sure. um, <laughs> just to call the dispensaries the middlemen, but it's, they're not wrong. Like some, there are dispensaries that make no product and only buy product and dispense product and they exist. I mean, and they almost, exactly. They almost quite literally are the middlemen. They just dispense yeah. it, <laughs> you know? Exactly. So. And, and the way that we have cut up cannabis so that everybody gets a piece of this pie um, is make leaves a lot of places to to let capitalism go pretty wild and let people set prices however they would like and not in ways that are necessarily democratic I, I consider myself a democratic capitalist i believe that if we let capitalism do its thing with government at also doing the thing that we'd like that we'd have a really good world <laughs> so it's like we, we on both ends it's hard and i'm not saying like our our limited license system is is a product of uh, like socialism or anything but controlling the supply of something from the government and making sure there is limited people taking part like it's the closest thing we have to communism in illinois you're right i mean yeah it, it is and so it's like not like uh it's it, that i think that's one of the reasons why it's so contrasting because we are 
Yeah. I felt weird by the way saying that too, but it's just like you kind of got to say it. It's the government yeah. kind of and owning the means of production. My husband know? is really really into reading about like Lenin and things like that. He's like a Georgist, which is a whole other form of thinking about the world, so he likes to just see what are the other thoughts and it's just like it's crazy how similar some of these thoughts are to cannabis. It's eerie. Well, we yeah. need to get him on sometime. So yeah, once uh-huh. once ICA is all formed and all, we'll definitely have uh, more to say on the Illinois consumption advocacy happening. Cool. Yeah, please keep us posted on that. It's something that I hold near and dear to my heart, what I consider to be the true spirit of legalization. I feel like we lost what what I don't know. I just feel like it it, it it's like a a trick of words that we played. We're like, it's legal, but it's not that legal. you know like it's legal for businesses like we forgot about people and i think that's kind of what ica wants to be is like we want to fill that hole where we want to advocate for the people not for businesses no matter who owns the businesses like some people are going to figure that out but nobody's even trying to advocate for consumers to consume Mm -hmm. not even make sure we have good products i'm just trying to say consume it (laughs) and i love to just use the law to prove its own point i think that is precisely why people it's just called the cannabis regulation and tax act how can we regulate it and tax it you know and there's very little direction on how to allow people to consume it legally um it kind of like says oh you could be a consumption lounge and that's what's weird there's state there's locations in southern illinois that aren't even dispensaries that have opened as consumption lounges oh Um, yeah i can tell you all about that (laughs) tell us about it Well, you can open a consumption lounge in Illinois if you are a freestanding smoke shop and you derive 80% of your profits from such affairs. So it's a really clunky system. Like if you're a, you're a cannabis, you're essentially a hospitality. You're, You're part of the hospitality industry. You're a place where people can sit down and do something. And we're making you force, we're forcing it into a retail space and making them make their money off of retail tobacco sales. And then who, but who's enforcing this? That's the question. I'd love to know if the lounges that have opened up down South are being asked to prove that they're not getting more than 20% of their profits from lounge activities, essentially. And that would be anything from like the food, the entertainment, the door fees, anything like that is supposed to be within this 20% margin. So anyone, you know, there's, there's an argument to be made that, okay, now we have a system to do smoke shops in the lounges. Let's just make, let's just lobby the townships to make them zone these things. But who's going to invest in something like that? This clunky thing. And there's definitely ideas. And I know there's a place opening in Tinley Park that's going to be a, um, like a Dave and Buster's-esque smoke lounge using the, the smoke shop regulation. But right. like, that's where I, getting around this? I, I just wonder how you make money off of it because- if you can't dis like it almost well, I'm not trying to like give the dispensary ones more credit than that, but it makes sense if you can sell weed there too, right? But that's those the one that exists in this state is not necessarily a profitable entity, I guess is mm. what I'll say. Cool. Yeah. I mean, not surprised, honestly. <laughs> not surprised. Yeah. And it's there. hard because when you can't do anything but sell cannabis, and like how much cannabis can you consume in a two hour sitting? Like every time sure. I go there, I only buy an eighth and it's like, I usually go buy the cheapest eighth too, just to be, you know, cause I'm a price conscious consumer, like most other people. So it's, um, 
You bring up the idea of an arcade, though. I feel like that's a brilliant idea because I what I was trying to say is I struggle to think of ways you can make money on, you know, like you want people to come, like, but how do you also like make money off of it without it feeling too exorbitant, you know, because a bar, like oh, people will go to a bar, you know, but. I think yeah. it has, I think there'll have to be a combination of changing the law so you can have food right. um, and entertainment and even non-alcoholic drinks i think one of the other big trends that i've seen through our just gen pop data is the amount of people who are like not using alcohol after the pandemic and continuing to not use it and distinctly saying they're using cannabis instead of it and gen z is at like 50 percent of them saying that they're using more cannabis than alcohol which is like unprecedented and ridiculous and like it's not going down either like we've been watching it every quarter being like well but i'm like me too i've been drinking the alcohol since 2020 so it's like i am the trend um but these people still want to like sip on something they don't want to just be like smoking and being like Bleh. it's like there are opportunities <laughs> but the state won't let us do it they're making us just like could you imagine if every time you wanted to smoke you had to go buy a bowl or a tray or a grinder that that's basically right. what the system is setting up now it's like this assumption it's like a no no knowledge of how cannabis consumers actually interact with the plant yeah yeah that's really well said um yeah it seems like we're approaching this without knowledge of like let me put it this way it's like we've we've obviously figured this out already <laughs> like people have been doing this yeah. just maybe not as a legal business so it's like how do we there's got to be a way to make it that easy well, you know what i mean like you there's not session. been a lot of them there's not been a lot of lounges like i think that Las Vegas now is probably gonna have a cool lounge industry. Michigan's set up to have it, but it's just been like slow and weird rolling out. But yeah, really, if you think Chicago is bar scene is gonna suffer from people not using alcohol in the same rate as they were in 2019. And I think one of the true ways to ensure that it doesn't die or become something much less cool <laughs> is by incorporating the cannabis users back by like having a, a genuine scene for cannabis use and nightlife which is just, ugh, I want it. Maybe, maybe it's just me. I want it. It sounds awesome. It sounds I see like it in the future. data though. I see it in the data. It's not just me. I see it. Hell yeah. What are there, uh, any other data points that you specifically wanted to discuss? Anything that catches your eye or. I don't know. I always point to how crazy it is that like so many people use cannabis multiple times a day now. Um, pre pandemic, it was like a third of users and now it's like half. So it's a uh, heavy consumers are like the norm. Like stoners are the norm. People like to talk about these like microdosing mamas and things like that. And like, yeah, they exist, but spending less, they're using less. Like heavy consumers are here in droves and here to stay. And is there a reason you're collecting data for smart approaches to marijuana? <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> no, well, no, our consumer data is really comprehensive. Like we ask them like, how often do you use? When? Like, do you get my joke? No, I, I maybe I do. Why? Why was the joke? They're they're a prohibitionist group, so oh, they would, I know they would be like, oh, oh da them. Daily, yeah, the, yeah, right, right. Get what I'm saying? Oh. Sorry, but the, that's but the point is that it has the world come to a halt. Has has all industry stopped? There because no, it hasn't. Like all these stoners are productive and being good people. And honestly, I just want to put that on a shirt. Like stoners are good people. It's yeah. Exactly. And that's kind of what I was trying to say. I didn't mean to say that like we've done it already as in we've seen a lot of successful consumption businesses, but 
let me just say like you've probably had like a party where you have a few friends over you have baked goods and you smoke weed and nobody's died and ever a lot of people do that i guess is what i'm saying so it's like how do we take that template and put it into a business <laughs> oh yeah I mean? I mean that's what professional actually shows it shows that Fuck like yeah. hey look people want this and like you ask you know some of the bars we've been to have told us they've done three to four times the bar sales during our event and it's like and they were on there smoking a couple ounces and look nobody died nobody passed out and i'm all about safe approaches and if you're gonna have dab bars and edibles you better have somebody sure. making sure but at the end of the day trust the people trust the plant organic don't panic Right. Yeah, it's never killed anybody. You don't you don't have special consumption watchers hanging out at bars making sure that 19-year-olds with fake IDs don't throw up in the alleyway after. So you definitely don't need it for cannabis cuz it's never killed anybody. That's yeah. kind of, that's kind of my take. Maybe maybe that's so radical, but um yeah. Yeah. Well, hell yeah. Um well, one thing that I I guess before we close that I feel like we didn't necessarily we've got into a huge conversation about cannabis and cannabis data and cannabis policy because we were talking about your job and stuff. Did you want to talk about content creation and stuff? I mean, my, my, one of my main questions is like we create cannabis content, but like we've never had issues because for some reason nobody perceives it and I know this sounds crazy. But nobody perceives it as cannabis content because it's very much like we're talking right now. It's not like we're like loading up a bong, dude. You know what yeah. I mean? Like we've got the imagery or whatever, but like it's not. And yes, we've been smoking throughout. But I guess I wanted to ask you as a cannabis content creator, I know it's a hard like niche to fit. Yeah, <laughs> so how's that rules. been? There's a lot yeah. of rules. Um, yeah, I've only had like a couple posts be issues and it all had to do with like other pages and like people reporting um, okay but so just stupid shit just yeah. stupid things but i feel so like not actually instagram like no instagram no. not really getting at me too bad at all but i think okay. it's because so like basically when instagram made the change i don't know if you remember but like all the cannabis hashtags suddenly we couldn't use in 2021 summer i think it was like may um i actually went through and like removed every cannabis hashtag i ever had and i feel like that prevented me a lot of headache later on because i would hear about people getting screwed over from old posts and i also deleted mm. anything that was like super nug shoddy um but really if you want to be compliant on instagram follow the cannabis advertising laws of your state i don't necessarily follow it all the time but like that is the guidance you know yeah. so here we are not allowed to show actual bud um we're not allowed to show actual consumption um, you're not allowed to show the leaf, you know, you know, so you're not, so don't do those things. And you're probably going to be better off than somebody who is, is one of the things I always say, but it's, um, it's not fun to follow those rules. I still like smoking my one hitter and showing, you know, what I bought here and there, but those are always the riskier posts. And I think that's to every creator to decide. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, I guess since you're reviewing cannabis in the state of Illinois, some people, I mean, a lot of people travel, but if you were to recommend people products in the state of Illinois, where would you, where would you point to? I would point to Benton Harbor, Michigan. <laughs> okay. There you go. I like the answer. No, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not like a, I'm not a total hater. I'm here. I'm, I'm in case you asked me what I was smoking on. I brought some legal weed to say a good answer. Okay. Um, what's, what is it? Days off the magic hour. 
where they combine two strains that apparently it's not a hybrid of the two strains. It is genuinely combining the two strains when into a pre-roll. Yeah. And it's still just, I still don't have an answer as to how they're able to do that, but yeah. You know, I didn't pay for this, so. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No, you know what I mean though? Have you heard of the other, is it days off the brand? There's a, there's a certain brand where they actually, not just the joints, but they will in the same, like a package, it'll be like, oh yeah, it's days off. It is. Oh, it is. Okay. And yeah, they're genuinely two different nugs. Like I got one that was like purple nugs and like green nugs in the same one. Yeah, it just seems like they're really look, okay. I'm not saying there's any huge validity to testing really, anyways, but they're really kind of showing that. And <laughs> they're like really pushing it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I just don't I'm also not like a test. The fact that this says it's 18%, it's that honest. It's being honest, I think, when you say that. Like in anything under yeah. 20 i'm happy with i personally don't like high THC strains i think they're sure. lying anyway yeah. but um yeah you know I, my big problem with illinois is the remediation things so it's mm-hmm. like if you want quality cannabis it's rough it's rough in illinois yeah very dry and i know you've done a lot of episodes on that a lot and i've already you, you've shared a lot of knowledge i, I really i've probably watched like three or four times one of your episodes on remediation really um, so you. hard to get my fucking head around it really is <laughs> well for folks that haven't heard it give give them a little bit of background i guess just no no don't make me do it see it's hard to get my head around but and then i also okay. have I, I have my hot take that i always say it's all microwave weed and everyone's like what but it's like well okay i can give the background and maybe you sit maybe you explain that then um so yeah cannabis in illinois or in most states in fact can be remediated and is and even some companies are are switching up their lingo we had one of them come on the show recently and they they're calling it a kill step now and i'm being very candid about it because it just sounds like there's literally no difference so it's a kill step because it's incorporated into your sops and they say they do it before testing so they say remediation only happens if you get you know if they flag your product and so then you remediate it right but so they're saying we'll do the, just do it before testing <laughs> so that yeah, you exactly. so that you guarantee you pass the test right yeah um so yeah there's many different ways to do it uh ozone um i mean look honestly you want to talk about the most basic form of remediation if you cultivate outdoors like people do in in uh, oregon or whatever you might have like gnats or little pests because it's outdoors whatever and the simplest form of remediation is to to hose your weed down. It's not bad. Yeah. Uh, get the bugs out of it and then let it dry out. Just yeah, it's not like it knocks yeah. off a lot. I of do hydrogen peroxide dunk on my outdoor. Same yeah. for the same reason. And it's not yeah. So I guess like the step of and it goes back to supply when there's so tight supply and it's so expensive to grow and you cannot risk losing crop of cannabis it makes sense to ensure that your crop will pass the stringent testing that this state has provided um and so it's like not i'm not trying to shade any one growing cannabis in the state people are growing great cannabis out here like really great stuff and it it's just really not accessible or widespread is the issue because of these you know needing to get it out the door needing to make sure you kill all the bacteria on it before you can it into a jar and then put it into a vault for who knows how long it'll sit. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's, there's, I just wish, I think if anything, if I were to ask for anything, let's just make it so that it's required to be labeled. 
I'm not saying it can't be, it can't happen. Let's just make it so that it's required yeah. to be labeled like we do with other foods. And I wonder if it was labeled, if everyone would just like start to accept it as a step. And they're like, well, this is part of the industry that makes it safe. But like. We do that with meat and nuts and stuff like that, for example. So why not? Yeah. I mean, maybe so. Yeah. Is that the acceptance? But I I think it's a lot of too. It's like just knowing the difference between what's good and bad in cannabis is like different than food. Yes. Arguments I've heard for. And especially I know what's going on in Oregon with the asparagus they mm-hmm. want to the, all those new regulations have now caused a whole new slew of like unknown pesticides affecting cannabis smokers. So it's like this or that or this or that. Then that you know, <laughs> yeah. Do you want to try weed? You want to make sure there's no bacteria? Like, some are you having droves of people die from bacteria eat cannabis somewhere? Like, tell me right. where are they? Right. I don't know. And- Why are we helping them? Like. <laughs> If you just think about like back the culture when it was like in a brick, like think about the mold that would have generated from it being wrapped up the way they used to do it. Like, I'm sure that like, I'm not saying it's healthy for you. I'm saying like we could figure it out, <laughs> you know, maybe yeah. we're. And I think like extreme contaminants like that, like sh- I don't even know if they should be able to be remediated, but in a, in a system where you can't lose a crop, mm-hmm. you have to be. I hope one day that we have a market, a federal system. And, you know, I don't want the federal government to, in my ideal world, they just get rid of the Controlled Substance Act. But so the federal government. Thank you. Right? Uh, If they made it, they can get rid of it. Like they only made it in the 70s. Like people, I'm listening to music older than that. Like everyone is. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Exactly. uh, Yeah. But in an ideal world, Illinois will. Illinoisans will be able to get weed in from other states because other states will be, have learned how to grow them and make them safe, make them awesome, make them exportable, and that hope, hope it happens. The pick offense that's Illinois' limited licensing system is, you know, who knows how long it'll last in a national system. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna scare some people saying that. That's actually a nightmare scenario. I've tried to la- run by some of these people that will come on the show and advocate for license limitations that. Because you're like, if you're shielding yourself from competition and then all of a sudden interstate commerce becomes a thing, it's like, are you going to compete with that farmer from Oregon? You know what I mean? Exactly. I I believe Weed Sconson is the real possibility. I'm here for Weed Sconson. Yeah. Yeah, Cheese and weed. Well, they (laughs) are a great hemp infrastructure. A lot of the hemp cigarettes are from Wisconsin. And so these people are out there learning. And that's the thing. It's all about learning how to grow weed. Illinois did not have a medical system to let people learn how to grow weed like Michigan did. And it didn't go back to even that far, you know? And so it's mm-hmm. like now Wisconsin is giving the people a chance to learn how to grow hemp, which is weed light essentially. And so if they're getting all this skill and if, if they become even more liberal than Minnesota, whoa, 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 weed Wisconsin. And Illinois will just be, um, yeah, this is a regrettable decision made. Yeah. <laughs> essentially. Well, let's let's uh, before I guess uh, I ask you one of my final questions. Um, is there anything that you like wanted to mention today that that we haven't necessarily got to that that you wanted to talk about? I guess I just I try know. to been trying to give people more space, you know. Well, I definitely just that um, if you like what I say, follow me on things. You know, I'm on LinkedIn a lot. I'm I'm cannabis in- analyst on Reddit now. <laughs> that too, um, and made content made underscore content but yeah i just like to talk about the data talk about the industry so this has been a very just pleasant nice conversation cool for sure <laughs> nerding yeah. out about the d- different parts of the industry that are 
cool and or otherwise not hell yeah yeah likewise i've also enjoyed this conversation and for folks that are listening that wanted to connect we'll have the links to the things that that uh she just mentioned in the podcast description if that makes it easier for you to to get connected um cool well hey what i was gonna try to ask because some people have been giving me flack they're like you talk about all the negatives all the time and it's because i want to be like uh i know we can do better so i guess i wanted to end this on a positive note um you can either take it as like what are you hopeful for or what is something we should be happy about whichever direction you want to take it in or both um yeah yeah, let's end this on a positive note i guess i'm really hopeful for all the people who have like absolutely grinded to make it to where they are now either opening or about to open um it's been like as an analyst watching this industry and just seeing so little activity the activity that has happened it's just like a miraculous and a miracle absolutely and like going to the river bluff grand opening we were speaking with one of their owners donald and he was just like i put my life in this not even knowing if i'd be able to open it um and luckily he's one of the teams that was able to open it but there are going to be so many teams that did that and that's not it's not happening um so for the ones that are out here doing it like total kudos like 1937 groups launch is happening um on the 17th of may so tomorrow but i know already would have happened but it's just so that's what we want to keep seeing launches two-year anniversary parties three or four-year anniversary parties just like keep keeping seeing the industry be around and grow I think I think like the the only way to do it is through the new operators. So it's a lot of pressure on them, but you know we're here somehow. Yeah. That's, and that's that's part of why High Folks Media wants wanted to be here. We wanted to be here so the new operators had like a a way to tap into influencers who had the eyes of the people on them. Um, and so that's what we're really grateful for those new partners we can work with. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Well, cool. Um, so yeah, folks, follow made content High Focus Media um professor sesh we'll have all the links in the podcast description um any upcoming events like maybe in june or anything that you wanted to plug for folks that are look i don't know i'm just honestly throwing it out there is there anything coming up that- yeah the june 7th professor sesh is going to be at oh. emporium logan square so we have Sweet. the monthly it's the first wednesday so yeah june 7th is the first wednesday of june Boom. um but we'll definitely have some more things this summer involving food and sun and beach and we just want to we we want to bridge the gap between brand and consumer that is one part of what we do too so making sure that they know what the people want and the people are getting what they want i love it well folks check them out get connected show up and uh have a good time so <laughs> um well hey we'll see you on the next episode of the chillinois podcast i hope you all take care bye